What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Pele leaned in and said something to Freddie. Don't let them change you. Keep working on what makes you different and what makes you special. It was great advice, but it caused me some problems. But what could change Freddie do? Soccer is going to explode and it's going to be around this kid. We were the Beatles. Everywhere we went, it was the Freddie show. And with that came the expectation and with that came the pressure. New episodes of American Prodigy drop Tuesdays from Blue Wire Podcasts. Welcome to Burn It All Down, the feminist sports podcast you need. Jessica here. I'm joined today by Dr. Adia Benton, whom you might remember from earlier this year when we had her on episode 151 back in March. Today, we're going to talk once again about COVID and sports. If you haven't yet listened to episode 183, which dropped earlier this week, I encourage you to, as Lindsay, Amir, and I did a wide-ranging discussion on this topic. Now, Dr. Benton is here to provide us even more context. Dr. Benton, will you please introduce yourself to our listeners? I'm Adia Benton. I am an anthropologist, cultural anthropologist. Um, I study infectious disease outbreaks, and I am a professor at Northwestern University. Do you have a favorite? Are you like a big Chicago sports person? I don't think I even know this about you. You know, I, I basically love the team where I live, it seems. And because I lived in Boston for a while, I had oh. to, um, I was like, I don't even like baseball. But I, my first year in Boston was 2004. So, ah. um, yeah, I had to love baseball. And <laughs> yeah, I mean, I go, I, when White Sox was possible, I went to the White Sox. Um, I dreamed of going to see the Bulls. I live not very far from where the Bears play. Okay. So, um I basically indulge I indulge in the local sports culture and sports fandom whenever possible. All right. So you're like geographically bound rather than basically. like deep generational things. Okay. Yeah, which is weird because at some point I remember we must have loved the Pittsburgh Steelers. I have no association with Pittsburgh whatsoever. But I, I remember that very small piece of my early childhood having a Pittsburgh Steelers <laughs> situation in my house. It's so funny. Sports are so funny. Okay, so we had Adia on in March, not long after everything in sports shut down, but I think it was before the actual like official announcement of the Olympics being postponed. So this was really at a time when everything was up in the air, and there was no talk yet of bubbles or wobbles or any real sense of like how or if sports was going to return. And at the end of the interview, you told me, this is so mean of me because I'm about to quote you to you from March. You told me, quote, I'm hoping that we get our sport. <laughs> this, this is sad. sad. I, I'm, I'm self, feeling selfish. I'm hoping we get our sports back by the end of the year. And here we are now. And it is the end of the year. COVID's raging. Sports came back in all kinds of ways and at all different times. It's kind of a mess now. I feel like that's even an understatement. We're about to start up an indoor basketball season. What do you think or what do you feel when I quote you to you what you said in March about like 
it would be it was selfish of you to hope for sports by the end of the year. Well, you know, I remember your reaction, which was actually something like, wow. End of the year. Year. Wow. Yeah. Does that seem too late or too early? That just seems far away. (laughs) Like you kind of it was like somebody (laughs) hit you in the gut and punched you in the gut and you just didn't know what to do with yourself. That's fair. (laughs) Right? Yes. That felt so far away when you said it. It was like I just couldn't even imagine that as a possibility. And you were telling me that we'd be lucky to get them back by the end of the year. Right. And I and I said that because I think I there were a few miscalculations. And those miscalculations were essentially about value and values, right? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Right? Because I'd been thinking, well, like most people who think about sports critically, you think of it as an industry, right? And, and one of the things that I was thinking was um, not simply about the sort of ethical or moral state of sports as as an industry but really like okay so how do you make your money when you don't have spectators and you build up all of that hype and 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 excitement around being there you know and so that was the other thing but also so i overestimated the extent to which that kind of value mattered mm. and i underestimated the extent to which liability and risk hmm factored into how they think about their profit, their bottom line. And, um, you know, and then there's the secondary question of the human resources, right? Yes. Which is, you know, what happens if people get sick? And, and how do you fill a roster? How do you build, how do you train people in such a way that the, whatever they put in comes out on the other side? And obviously, I mean, I knew that the bubble bubbles were possible, but I was like, these are humans I mean, I was also thinking about different sports, right? Yeah. So if you have a long if you have a long season, if you play like a hundred whatever game, I always forget how many games baseball. It's like a hundred and eighty-two. I feel like that's too many. I actually don't know. <laughs> I think it's close. Well, it's funny when I say it to people who really love baseball, they're like, "Duh, it's one eighty-one or yeah. whatever." And so, how do you actually like make sure that grown folk stay in a bubble? perform their duties. I think it's actually easier with the, the women's leagues did it better, obviously. Um, but how do you, how do you do this when you have a season that spans three, four, five months, uh, you travel, you do all of these things and also maintain testing regimens and all of these things. We were dealing with a, a sort of, even though we were experiencing a much smaller epidemic on much smaller scales, we were experiencing a shortage of tests. We were experiencing all of these things. And so for me, it was sort of like, how does the industry create a situation for itself or these industries create a situation for, for themselves where they make the money that they want to make, cultivate the market base and the fan base that they need to, to be able to do that at minimal risk to themselves, financially, uh, liability-wise, whatever, and do it over this extended period of time. Mm-hmm. You know, that that was the thing. It was, it was always man- about managing the resources. That was sort of the big question. And so now here we are. Some leagues did it better than others. Right. And, you know, sports like tennis did amazingly well in some ways and in other ways terribly. Well, you know what's interesting of talking to you at this point versus in March is that everything's kind of the same as far as like, I mean, we're actually a little we're worse with the COVID numbers and how where the pandemic is and how it's spreading and and sort of just 
community spread at this point is very bad. Um, but I feel like this is such a huge topic right now because we have so many sports and all the different ways that they've come back. But I was thinking about the NBA in particular because, and I just wanted to get like your thoughts on this. So they had what I would say is a successful bubble overall, as far as like how COVID didn't enter into the bubble. We could talk about all things around mental health and and the separation and all the isolation and that sort of stuff. But as far as COVID goes, the bubble worked. And now we are weeks from the NBA just launching a regular season, <laughs> travel. The Raptors have to come to, what, Florida, I think, in order because Canada's like, no way, this is a bad idea. And so I don't even know how to square all that with the fact that the virus is is so bad right now. And we've seen football and always struggle, both on the collegiate and on the professional level, doing this kind of thing. And now we're going to be indoors. I don't know what to make of the NBA. Like they did it so well. And now and now this, what are your thoughts on on what they're doing? You know, <laughs> I'm just sitting here laughing, you sort of going, why, why are they doing this? <laughs> Because basketball is its own sort of special little beast, right? Um, Squads are pretty small. I mean, I would say they're relatively small, but the people who have to support a team like that is different. I think that actually, I think that's why football had some problems. Because it's so big? It's so big. Which is interesting because I almost want to push back and say with basketball, like if they have any kind of outbreak... You have no team versus football. We've seen like they're right. like whatever the Ravens did this last week, like whatever that team was, they fielded. Uh, they still were able to field a team because there's so many players. Right. And also f- football's outside. Football is outside. But one thing that always gets me about football is that the squads are bigger, but they also they train separately. So mm-hmm. they train in like little essentially mini bubbles yes but the joke I always have about football is like how many coaches do they have there's like a coach for every single position and there's dudes in the box and like yeah with books there's like you a know? main coach and then all the assistant coaches for all the different positions that's true there is like a huge right. staff around them the, the staff is a thing you know yeah. the, the, and, I mean and and basketball you know you have a few people who rub out some injuries but um, so it's smaller, the squads are smaller, so you, you have the different bubble, but yes, you have people who are going to, um, I guess that you could lose a whole team. The season is also, the schedule is much more arduous, I think. It's, it's a very different thing than, than a football schedule. They play a lot of games, they play them inside. So like, um, how do we make sense of what the NBA is doing now? You know, they were the first league to actually pony up money on mm-hmm. research and diagnostics and those kinds of things. So I mean, it, it's hard to kind of reconcile what they're doing, though, still. We're still dealing with um, huge community spread. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was affecting um, these players in the spring. This was affecting the players in the summer. I don't know why it wouldn't affect them now. Um, can they fully bubble or or sequester these people when they're, again, other people who do the work that makes their work possible? There's still people who have to clean, cook, yeah. um, maintain, train, you know, all, who cleans up and who does the care work. That's a part of the, the story here. I mean, do they have to be in the bubble too? And what even is a bubble at this point? Exactly. As soon as you get on an airplane and fly somewhere. It sounds like to me the NBA has to is having to essentially become a, a mini state. Hmm. 
um, they they have to govern. Yeah, which they have something like a hundred and fifty page book of rules or expected behaviors. Right. They're basically having to set up rules, regulations, enforcements, um, safeguards, a financial infrastructure that manages that the you know basically they have to kind of create like a mini state. They're going to have to ensure that. Every single uh, contingency related to every person's movements, they're regulated. I don't know how neo- if neoliberalism can even work in this mini state. You can't, con- <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you can't yeah. even contract out things because those people are also subject to those rules. And you can you make them subject to those rules if they're not a part of your little state? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. This is where we are. It's now that these little industries are creating their own little fiefdoms or something little kingdoms where they have a testing regime and a care regime they have health care and they have it's like they're living in their own wonderland yeah but it's still the player like it's still trusting that these guys are gonna do what they're supposed to and even in the nba bubble we saw lou williams (laughs) drive up to georgia so it's still like, right. you know, cross your fingers, which is just so wild to think that we're still at a cross your fingers kind of space with all of this. Hey, Lindsay, are you busy mm-hmm. right now? It's a busy time of year. Yes. Yes. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I know. I was thinking about like how December we're like in a pandemic. The holidays are coming like any second now. It's cold. I don't know. Everything feels hard right now. And I just think... We should all be making part of our life easier. And if you are looking to hire someone, Indeed can help you do that. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly so you can focus on hiring the person that you need to keep your business going. Best of all, you only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time and there are no long-term contracts. And now, Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job posts, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. All right. I have realized I have done y'all, my Uncle Quentin, and everybody such a disservice by only telling you about football bets on Bet Online. Like, obviously, we know that they go the extra mile to give you game spreads and totals and teams and players and coaching. You know, I've been saying they give you more options to wager, but how silly of me to say all the options only for football because they literally give you all the options to wager like more sports than just that for instance you could lay a bet on snooker which i googled (laughs) and it's sort of like pool like everything you could do if you know you want to lay a bet on album of the year jess you can go Hype oh, up Taylor. That. She's at negative 250 odds, which again, I don't know what, I don't that, know what means, that means either, <laughs> but you could do it. So they have all the Grammy Awards there. 
snooker, table tennis, all of the things. If you're really, uh, you know, masochist and you want to do political futures, you can even lay a bet on who will win the 2024 election. Oh, no. No, 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 no. no, no. Reject that thought. But by Uh, far, uh. my absolute favorite thing that you can go bet on right now is competitive eating. You can go lay a bet on if Joey Chestnut in the hot dog contest for 2021 will be over or under 74 and a half hot dogs. Mm. So listen, go to bet online, take advantage of all the signup bonuses, bet on some hot dogs. Don't forget to use the promo code blue wire at betonline.ag. That's blue wire. All one word bet online, your online sportsbook experts on clearly everything. I wonder what the COVID protocols are at the hot dog eating contest. I try not to dwell. <laughs> that is such a burn it all down question. After that. How will they be handled? Oh, gross. I did want to ask, I'm really interested to get your opinion on this because I still feel really weird about sports being back, uh, in part because I care a lot about all the people you just talked about that can possibly get sick from the fact that sports has returned, but also that it just makes it seem that normal life has resumed in some way. What's the role that sports has played in our society as far as like how people are responding to the seriousness of it, this pandemic? Is sports just simply mirroring society? We're all just kind of trying to, not all, Enough people are trying to go back to some kind of normal. Or is it that sports is really guiding people's decision making? Like, how do, how should we read that? Should we blame sports for some kind of normalization? I want you to say yes, because that will make me feel better about all of my ideas. You know, so I... thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a part of me that feels like it goes both ways. So one could possibly support bubbles. <laughs> it would mean paying people, testing people, treat, mm-hmm. caring for people, yes. and, and thinking about people's movements and facilitating that. On the other hand, that is not how our society is currently operating, and we are not going to take um, our cues from professional sports. So um, what it's also showing us is that that certain people will be protected, privileged, or whatever for the Mm. sake of our entertainment. Um, I happened to watch a a minor, like, meltdown by some guy on CNBC. I don't remember his name. Oh, I watched that this morning. (laughs) Right. Yes. Screaming about restaurants. Right. It's science. If you're wearing a mask, it's a different story. 500 people at a Lowe's aren't any safer than 150 people in a restaurant that holds 600. I don't believe it. Sorry. Don't believe okay. it. He was, yeah, he was like, are you telling me that church, you know, he was basically saying every space is the same. Then if one's open, the other one should be open and the, and there's no difference. And it's like, well, yeah, there's a difference in church. People are quiet and then they sing. <laughs> and and in, in, a, in a Lowe's, you go in and then you go out. A restaurant, you sit and you basically are just spreading, unmasked, unmasked. eating, talking, enjoying eating. yourself. Yeah you are basically spreading the virus. Right, there's differences here. There are obvious right. differences. And that's a social practice question. That's like a that's like a bread and butter anthropology question where I'm like, yeah, all buildings are the same until you have people doing different things in them. Um, and to some extent, I think one of the things about sports is you can kind of see someone making that leap and going, well, if they're playing 
basketball or football. And those people aren't caring about, you know, they're able to, to maintain a sort of safe space and continue to do what they're doing and to continue to do their work. Then they're, yes, then it's possible for us to do that too. And I think depending upon your orientation, um, and, and I sense that his orientation was all of this is madness. All spaces should be free if we just minimize the number of people going in and out of it. Um, I think there's a, a kind of lumping problem here, which is, well, if sports are going on and if they're able to maintain and they're able to do this and this is part of normal life, then we, too, can engage in our normal activities. And some of the normal is getting together with other people to watch sports. Absolutely. Oh, on Sundays when I take walks with a dog in my neighborhood, I'm like, I bet those people's <laughs> cars are all in there watching football. They're all watching football. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> but like, that's where my brain goes. And so, yeah, that's part of the normal right. is this kind of resumption of getting together to watch sports that makes right. me so nervous. And that's, and that's also part of the, there's a, so there is a social element. We don't know. You know, this is the other thing I was thinking about. I was like, who, who is the audience now? You know, I had so many friends who started watching premier league when it started back up and with the, you know, piped in canned audience noise, crowd noise. Mm-hmm. And I was mm-hmm. like, yeah, the effective dimensions of like, how are you guys watching this? Like, I started to think, well, there must be people watching this together with their friends and and family and and other things. It's not just yeah. Twitter watching. Like I, I clearly there are people who are and so there are always these sort of social interactional dimensions that we have to think about um, that are a part of this. And so yes, I think it's it's highly possible that we're putting ourselves in the position of cultivating our own little super spreader events. But again, that's part of the calculation that was always being made in the sports industry, which is that we have a fan base, we have a market (laughs) that still craves, you know, there are people who still crave this and want it and need it, um, who build up their sociality rooted in fandom. And I can't think, I can't think a way out of that, which is why, you know, I was also like, oh my God, I want my sports back by the end of the year. Yeah. And I feel like I just bring you on to burn it all down to ask you all the really difficult questions that there probably aren't answers to. But like, this leads me perfectly to my question is like, what is the sports fan supposed to do now? And then this completely unfair question of like, is there an ethical sports consumption? I just feel bad at this point whenever I'm watching sports. (laughs) But then that's me admitting to you that I'm watching sports. You're watching. So is there an ethical consumption at this point? I have to say that I decided that I would not be watching sports because I was like, this is not, I don't know if, I don't know how I feel about it. And I'm not sure if it's a fully principled stance, but I felt like I was supporting something that I wasn't sure. You know what it was like? It's like horror movies. Like when you kind of cover your eyes and like, yeah. and I actually felt like that's what all sporting events would be like for me. Yes. Being like, oh my god, I hope, oh they just touched each, you know, like, yes. did they just touch each other? Did they just? Yeah. So then, like, you're watching live right. sports, and it's just like, oh my god. I mean, I I haven't watched you know a ton of it, but like, I happily watched the U.S. Open. I felt good, even. Okay, that is the thing I did watch. Aha! And <laughs> <laughs> I was just about to say, actually, I lied. I watched the entire. 
entire U.S. Open. And it was fun. And it was amazing. But I just don't know, like... But I also was watching with my hands like this. But right. then I would go, oh, look at them. They're going back to their bubbles. Yeah. And I watched that because I was actually sort of curious about the bubble. I mean, I'll be honest. I was like, let's let's see what a tennis bubble looks like. I watched them go to their bubble and they showed them kind of like in the bubble and it made me feel better. It's like bubble performance for the fans. It was absolutely bubble. I mean, they talked about it. Oh, look, each player got her, mm-hmm. his or her own box. Yes. They're all, all of them eating sushi or whatever. Yeah. They were all eating sushi because, but yeah, and they were all getting, they all had their own players box. There weren't people sitting close to each other. These people were not leaving. Yeah. They were even forced to entertain themselves. Yeah. In the venue. I mean, it was just, it, it seemed so strict. But I mean, is there like, I think there's no good way to watch sports at this point and feel okay with it. Is that, is that a fair judgmental thing to say that's how I feel and yeah I hadn't thought about it until last week I was like you know I haven't watched any I haven't watched a game except for that U.S. Open part of me was very concerned about the fact that these folks I mean I know a lot of them wanted to play right and I know that you know that's their job right we're all bored I mean we're all we don't have anything else I mean yeah they have basketball courts in their backyard some of them but I, I kind of felt like We're all kind of working. If we're fortunate enough to have jobs that continue to pay us, we're all kind of working under conditions that are Mm. are bad. And it made me feel like, why are these folks working? Um, Is it just because they want to? Uh, Is it because they feel like they have to? Um, Mm. We're all in a pretty difficult space as as workers, I think. I'm I'm wondering... I don't think we're alone in like how we're feeling as sports fans. Like, I'm like, here's an unfair question, idea. But I'm just wondering, like, is there going to be kind of a realignment for sports fans? I'm wondering, like, once we get a vaccine, whenever, whatever the other side of this is, I, I feel I now feel good that sports will exist on the other side because they've managed to exist during all of this. Um, are people just going to go right back to the same kind of fan consumption? I wonder, like, do you think that? All of this will change fans' relationship to sport? Um, No. No. Yeah. Okay. Well, no, I do think that there's a group of people who um, would have a very difficult time readjusting to uh, gatherings, right? Like, I think that's straight up. There are people who are absolutely straight up traumatized. Like, I mean, I can tell because of how people are, have been actively policing others right like the, all the judgment on on twitter on social media elsewhere i always hear people go oh my god did you see those people together <laughs> which you know like never yeah right oh i saw pe- i hope this video isn't from this year yeah. you know, like- there's a house in my neighborhood that i call the covid house now which is really super unfair but they had multiple unmasked people leaving their house at the same time on thanksgiving and i have just I now call it the COVID house and we walk by because that just seemed deeply irresponsible. I don't know these people at all. Like I have no relationship to them. I don't know anything about them. But like, yeah, there's such an easy way to fall into that. Like you see it and you judge it, Mm -hmm. especially when you are feeling like you're sacrificing. Yes. We actually could. We adapted really quickly. We were conditioned pretty quickly actually to start to think about how we gather what we touch where we breathe how we breathe right um in ways that i think um actively shape 
our ability and willingness to kind of get back to normal, um, specifically when it comes to gathering. Hmm. Interesting. Um, that said, I believe that you will absolutely see people in Alabama going to see, you know, roll tide or whatever, <laughs> like whatever they do, you'll see that happening next year. Um, you're going to see a go Cox or whatever. I mean, I'm from South Carolina, so that's my go Cox <laughs> getting you know, 80,000 people in one yeah. stadium or whatever. That's going to happen again. Um, but I do think that there is going to be like a little bit of an, an adaptation to get back to it. Um, I also think it's been interesting to watch how quickly people went from, I remember I was like going to receptions in March and February and like not getting too close to the cheese on a plate and sanitizing and everyone's like, what's wrong with you? That could never happen now. I right. mean, we wouldn't be having any receptions, but people were actually like, why are you doing that? And now there's no question. It's even like mask wearing. Like there was a point when people wearing masks were the weirdos and now- mm-hmm. I just, right. that will be different going forward, I think. Absolutely. And yeah. So we're going to go, I, I I kind of feel like everyone will just revert back to the fandom that they were comfortable with. Um, okay. I have one more question. Mm-hmm. Do you have any predictions for sports and COVID in 2021? <laughs> You're like, I'm not giving you anything. Oh. <laughs> so I don't want to come back and answer for it. <laughs> No, I mean, I have to say, again, I underestimated the cravenness of the industry. <laughs> like, yeah, the aggre- like the aggressiveness was, yeah, I didn't either. And and risk I and liability. I actually, I really did underestimate or overestimate how much they cared about it. Because that seems costly to me too. Liability is costly. Um, you don't know who's going to get sick and who's going to not come out of it, um, period. So... Um, and I think that was probably part of the calculation, which is, oh, these are healthy people. Um, that said, I think you were right about the fact that people may just bounce, go back to where they were as soon as it seems like it's um, possible and necessary. And it seems many, at least the professional sports that make tons of money, um, it seems to me that they will be ahead of everything because um, they were doing it anyway. That's the first thing. But second thing is the resources are clearly there and it's worth it to them to make it possible, necessary. Um, And they showed that so clearly. They showed that so clearly. One thing I, I wonder about, though, is if it actually fundamentally changes at least how some people are thinking about work and labor and compensation and liability and risk in ways that sort of I think maybe exceed or or exceed our expectations for what happened um, this year and in previous years, because there were actual movements like social movements that coincided with this election that coincided with this epidemic and all of the, the measures taken. And so I think to some extent, a lot of us having had time to think a lot of us, even those of us who play sports and sit, we're sitting in a bubble had to be thinking about some of these questions or concerns in a way that may change our relation to our employers, how we conceive of ourselves as workers. Um, maybe, maybe as pie in the sky, but it's something that I've been thinking about a lot that people actually had to think about people being the employers, but also fans 
spectators, whoever, we aren't just thinking about the athletes, but all of the people who make the athletes work. Yeah, the ecosystem. Right. Ah, it's so enjoyable talking with you, Adia. Thank you so much for coming on back on Burn It All Down. Will you remind our listeners where they can find you on the internet? Oh, right. On um, Twitter, I'm ethnography911. And my, <laughs> my blog, which I don't update as much, but probably should be ethnography911.org. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming back on. Thank you. It was really fun.